What I love about about the medium in comics is that it is great for reluctant readers or kids who open a book of prose and their eyes just glaze over. And that doesn't mean that it's a cheat. They're still reading. In fact, they're more than reading. It's a more uh, complex and interactive experience when you're reading comics is you have to connect the words and the pictures together. And sometimes they can say the same thing. You'll see a picture of a guy punching a door and him saying the word balloon, I'm going to punch this door down. But sometimes they're saying different things. For example, he's punching a door and he has a thought balloon saying, I miss my wife. <laughs> there's, there's more going on there in that situation. <laughs> According to Publishers Weekly, sales of comic books and graphic novels increased by 62% in 2021 to over $2 billion. With their ongoing popularity among youth, can comic books help encourage a love of reading among students? Do comic authors write differently for younger audiences? And how might comic books and graphic novels be used in the classroom? This is what I want to know. And today I'm joined by Ryan North to find out. Ryan North is an author of nonfiction, comic books, graphic novels, web comics, and podcasts. He has won multiple awards for his young adult books, namely Adventure Time and The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Ryan has written for both Marvel and DC Comics, and he is currently the writer for The Fantastic Four at Marvel, as well as the upcoming graphic novel Danger and Other Unknown Risks. Today, he joins us to discuss engaging younger audiences and how comic books and graphic novels can aid students with reading comprehension. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, you are an author. Um, you do a lot of different things. You're a comic book writer. I want to talk about that, but you also uh, are a bit of a computer geek, if you will. So talk about this transition from being in the computer tech world to becoming a comic book writer and author. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I can tell you that when I grew up, in my mind, at least, it felt like there was a big gulf between the two. You can be a computer guy or you can be an artist and there wasn't really much overlap. There wasn't really much space in between. And I remember in undergrad trying to decide, in high, in high school rather, trying to decide what my major was going to be. Do I want to study computers? Do I want to do writing? And I went with computers on the theory that I could always do writing, study the humanities, you know, in my spare time. And it felt like kind of a line. It felt like a cheat I was giving myself. But then I managed to do a degree in computer science while doing a minor in film study, so keeping that part of me alive. And then while I was doing that, I started a webcomic called Dinosaur Comics, where I put a new comic up every day for free and sort of practiced writing that way and gathered an audience. And then by the time I was in grad school, I was doing the comic, keeping it up. When I graduated two to three years later, I kind of faced this choice between do I get a real job or do I keep doing comics on the internet. And it was very easy. But I know in my own experience, you know, the feeling was that wherever you land career-wise and then wherever you land job-wise, that's where you were going to be. There was not mm -hmm. a lot of moving around. It's like, <laughs> you know, this is your job. You do it for 40 years. You're going to go watch it when you retire. And I, I remember, you know, I had a public life in D.C. And, and then I decided to write a book 
And I had always been a frustrated writer, and I wrote mm-hmm. another one. Mm-hmm. And, they said, and someone wrote, you know, you know, Kevin Chavis' problem is he doesn't know what he wants to be when he grows up. And I said, actually, I don't want to grow up. I want to do as much <laughs> as I want to do when I want to do it. And I'm just glad to see that. And you did land in in the the comic uh, book writing world. I take it that that's always been an interest of yours, as you, as you just said. Sort of. It's been kind of an abstract interest of mine because I grew up in a very small town and this was before the internet. And so there wasn't really a way to experience comics. I knew about superheroes like Spider-Man, Batman, those sorts of characters, but I just sort of knew of them through cultural osmosis and maybe a TV show or movie where I didn't know anything about the medium. And it's funny because I got a job when I graduated high school, summer job, With that money, I borrowed my parents' car and I drove into the big city of Ottawa and I went to a comic book store and spent my first paycheck on Comics Grab effectively at random. I I, I knew nothing. I was just grabbing things that looked interesting. And so clearly there was a desire to know more about the medium and some attraction there, something that drew me to it. But it was almost on a level of, of subconsciousness. I just thought comics were interesting. And I started reading them and, you know, fell in love with this weird alchemy between pictures and words and all the potential there and the fact that much like computers this is a medium that's young and we're still figuring out what it can do Uh, one of my favorite things about comics is that you can read a comic almost routinely that does something with the form that you haven't seen before and that's exceptional you don't see that in prose nearly as frequently because we've been writing prose for thousands and thousands of years but comics is such a young medium and such a new medium that there's still uncharted ground to explore which for me is really really cool and really really exciting i hope you're enjoying this episode of what i want to know one of the most downloaded K-12 education podcasts in the country. Make sure you don't miss any of these important topics. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast or social media platform. And leave a rating and review so we can bring you more of the topics you want to hear about. Now back to the conversation. But in terms of comic book writing, what is interesting is that um, you have people of, while they're most identified with a lot of young folks, you have people of all ages who read comic books. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's it's a medium, especially in North America, that I think has labored under preconceptions or misconceptions of, of what it can be. And one of the larger ones is that comics are for kids and you see newspaper stories going back to the 70s, probably sooner or earlier, that say things like Biff Bam Pow, comics aren't just for kids anymore. And they haven't just been for kids since their inception. But we have this idea that this is a juvenile medium, a medium that's best suited to young people only. And, you know, there's, there's so much opportunity there. Like I've written a choose your own path version of Shakespeare. And that's where it's like the choose your adventure books we read as a kid where you decide what happens next by turning to different pages. And what I found was that that form also, like comics, is one that's typically only been used for younger readers. And then when you're adapting something that's more adult, like like a Shakespeare play, there's all this potential in the form that isn't being used by other authors because 
it's being dismissed partially as something that's just for kids. And the more that that idea changes, the more that people, that adults read a comic and say, oh, I didn't think it could do this. I didn't think it could be like this. Uh, the happier I am, because that that is breaking down that preconception. Now, as a comic book writer, let's talk about it from your per, your uh, point of view, your perspective. When you're writing storylines in, in comic books, do you think in terms of the audience and do you write a certain way, you know, thinking kids may read it as opposed to adults? Yes and no. Um, I've said before that I'm normally in most of my modes, I'm writing for an all ages audience. And that doesn't mean for kids, that means literally for all ages. So I try to make it accessible. And the secret, my secret to all ages writing is that everyone keeps their clothes on and nobody swears. And that's it. Like everything else, you're just <laughs> writing normally because kids can tell what they're being spoken down to and they're smarter than we give them credit for. And they'll, they'll know they pick up on so much of the world around them and they want, in my opinion, uh, stories that treat them like little people and not like little kids. And so, yes, I have in mind what the audience will be, and that might affect the way the story goes in certain ways. But generally, it's just everyone keeps their clothes on and nobody swears and we're off to the races. And and let's talk specifically about kids and comic books. And um, there is this attraction to comic books that is uniquely, uh, you know, there for for, for children. And uh, why is that? Why why um, is this notion of receiving a story or receiving a point of view seemingly so attractive to young people as opposed to just reading words on a page? I think part of it is that comics is an inherently fun medium. And actually, I'll give you an example. Visual aid. Okay. So here's a page of prose. Here's a page of comics. Guarantee yeah. you, 100% of the people, you and me and everyone else watching this, your eye goes towards the page of comics with more interest because it looks fun. It, there's shapes, there's colors, there's everything yeah. you want there. And I'm not here to like <laughs> to knock the written word. We all love prose. I think text is amazing. But comics gives you that fun for free. And it's fun to read a comic in the same way it's fun to watch a movie. Even bad movies can be fun because the fact that the pictures are moving on a screen entertains us on some basic level. And I think it's the same with comics. And I think part of it is that as adults, we have this suspicion that things that are fun must not be good for you. There's some hidden costs there. And so clearly <laughs> yeah. prose is better because it's not as fun as comics. And I think that's part of it. I think the, the other part of the answer is that historically in North America, comics were generally written for younger audiences. So we have that sort of cultural hangover. I read this when I was a kid and I stopped. Therefore, this is something that's meant for kids. And, you know, I, I don't I don't blame people for having that idea. And comics like film is a medium, not a genre. Most of what we see in North America is superhero stuff but that's changing there's there's indie comics there's romantic comedy comics there's all these these great stories being told outside of the boxes it's historically been put in so i think that's a long answer to a simple question but i think the answer is part of it is as adults we think there's some cost we're not seeing it can't be this fun without a catch and part of it is historically we read them when we were younger as kids and stopped so clearly this is kid stuff and not adult stuff yeah. And and back to the kids' interest, though, you've noticed, as have I, that 
this attraction for kids who normally may not be interested in reading just the, you know, black and white prose on a page without pictures, uh, it can change their approach to engagement and reading. And as I understand it, uh, you often refer to your nephews as an example. <laughs> I do. I have two nephews, uh, four and eight. And what I love about, about the medium in comics is that it is great for reluctant readers or kids who open a book of prose and their eyes just glaze over. And that doesn't mean that it's a cheat. They're still reading. In fact, they're more than reading. It's a more uh, complex and interactive experience when you're reading comics is you have to connect the words and the pictures together. And sometimes they can say the same thing. You'll see a picture of a guy punching a door and him saying the word balloon, I'm going to punch this door down. But sometimes they're saying different things. For example, he's punching a door and he has a thought balloon saying, I miss my wife. <laughs> there's, there's more going on there in that situation. <laughs> so what I love, yeah. especially with my younger nephew, is that he sees his older brother reading comics. He wants to join in. And he's not quite there yet literacy-wise, but he can still tell a story. He can look at the pictures and he'll read the comics to me and he's just making it up 100% whole cloth. But that's amazing. Like he's, he's reading the pictures, constructing a narrative, a visual narrative from those pictures and then building a actual story around it. And he likes his version of reading, which is building a narrative of himself. I, I just see so many benefits from it. And I love that he's not excluded, even though he's not yet at the level where he can read a prose novel like his brother can, he can still read a comic and walk away happy about it. In fact, I think that uh, the whole notion of student engagement, particularly for those who are typically unengaged students, is taking on different forms. And, you know, educators are trying to find creative ways to engage students, get them excited about learning, get them to keep their curiosity about what's possible out there. And so more and more people are actually looking at this genre, you know, comic books, graphic novels, as a way to engage students. Yet, as I'm sure you know, there are critics out there saying that this isn't real literature. Yeah. This isn't doesn't have academic quality attached to it. How would you respond to that? Because that's part of what is out there in terms of the background noise. Yeah, and I've I've spoken to teachers who have had an uphill battle of trying to incorporate graphic novels and comics into their curriculum. And to people who say, like, this doesn't count, this isn't literature, I would challenge them to just read comics that are coming out today. Uh, I, a couple years ago, worked with the Kurt Vonnegut estate to do a graphic novel adaptation of Slaughterhouse-Five, which is 1,000% oh, wow. not a children's story. And as I, as I think it's one of the most important <laughs> novels of the 20th century. And having a graphic novel yeah. um, kind of feels like the end point of that argument, right? Like you can't say comics are just for kids when you have a Slaughterhouse-Five graphic novel sitting there. And what I found yeah. uh, unexpectedly and joyously when it came out, I was reading reviews of it, and there were lots of people, adults, who had been assigned Slaughterhouse-Five in high school as homework and bounced off it didn't like it, thought it was confusing. And then now come to this graphic novel as later on in life, something they read for fun and are pleasantly surprised by how much they loved the story in the book. And it's not my story. It's Kurt Vonnegut's story. It's the exact same story there. But the format made it accessible to them. And there are some technical aspects like Slaughterhouse-Five jumps around in time. That's expensive to do in prose because you have to explain the different time periods. In comics, you can tell just by the clothes and the colors and the style of cars what kind of period they're in. So we, we get some stuff for free in that medium. But 
I guess bottom line, I would say is anything you can do in prose, you can do in comics and vice versa. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about your career and what you are doing now, because uh, when it comes to comic book writing as an author or a graphic novel uh, author, uh, you've done, you know, some really, really cool stuff. Uh, you're writing the new Fantastic Four. You've worked, done work for Marvel as well as DC Comics. Uh, but I also want to ask you, beyond the big names that you hear about in Marvel, uh, uh, where does Squirrel Girl come from? <laughs> Squirrel Girl is my favorite. She is a young superhero with all the powers of a squirrel and all the powers of a girl, and she fights crime. I wrote her for Marvel Comics for five years. It was the longest run they had when it ended outside of Star Wars. And she sounds goofy. She sounds like this is not a real <laughs> hero. But what made her such a joy is that I decided Squirrel Girl was going to be a smart young woman. She's going to study computer science. She's a reasonable thinker. She's empathic. And in our universe, there are tons of young, smart women who will have a conversation before they have a fist fight. In the world of Marvel comics or DC comics, superhero comics, generally people think with their fists. They have a disagreement, they punch about it, and then they realize afterwards they're actually on the same side. Squirrel Girl didn't do that. She tried to figure out what her villain's problems were. Why are we fighting? What do you want? Can I help you with this? And it became this uh, really empathic, clever superhero who would rehabilitate her villains, who would help them not do crime. Because end of the day, like, is the best way to save the world to put up a costume on yourselves and go outside and punch people Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's something better you could do with your life <laughs> than punch people. So she was sort of a breath of fresh air in the superhero genre. And uh, I mean, when you're writing for Marvel, these are not your characters. They existed before you were born. They'll exist after you're gone. You're mm -hmm. just sort of a steward for a while. I imagine it like a kid I was getting ready to send off to school and hoping I could do, do good by her. But you still fall in love with them <laughs> as if they're your own. And I still really, really love uh, Doreen Green, the unbeatable squirrel girl. One of the things I observed with her is that, for example, we talk about Superman. We say Superman this, Superman that, or Clark Kent when he's got his costume off. Clark Kent this, Clark Kent that. With Squirrel Girl, the name Squirrel Girl and her civilian identity, Doreen Green, were used interchangeably. They were the same person, effectively. She felt like someone you might know and like i said it it made her feel fresh it made her feel real and it gave the stories this sense of here's someone who's really making a difference like yes batman has punched the joker in the face 2000 times since 1960 <laughs> but here doreen has you know encountered a hippo man who's robbing banks because he needs a gigantic tub to live in because he's a hippo guy and she's saying like why are you stealing you have these skills you have this amazing body you could be working construction or demolition and just be incredible at it and he's like oh i never thought of that yeah okay thank you squirrel girl this is helping me make a positive change in my life and it's it's so easy to slide from that into like preachiness or Pollyanna this or like this is not how the world works. But Doreen does it in such a way that she leaves the world better than she found it. And I think that is the core of any superhero story. We want we want stories about people who always do the right thing, who will leave the world better than it was when they first showed up. And 
I think a story about a person who does that all the time is aspirational and inspirational. And that's what superheroes are all about. So, you know, this is the ultimate question that I really want to know. How might schools implement and better use comic books, graphic novels in their classrooms in a way to help foster engagement? What what advice would you give schools uh, to look at this medium a little bit differently to the benefit of kids and their ability to engage? Uh, like I was saying earlier, with movies, comics are innately fun and innately alluring. And I think the biggest hurdle is for the teachers themselves to feel comfortable to put a comic in the classroom, in the bookshelf at the back with all the other prose novels and not in a separate section, but mixed in in between mm. like like any other book. Um, and the advantage they have with, with the Marvel stuff, with the DC stuff, with the superhero stuff, is that there's an on-ramp there. These are characters that some kids already know and already love. And it's not, you know, front page breaking news to say, if you've got a reluctant reader who doesn't want to read a, a book and you say, oh, well, this is a story about Batman or this is a story about Spider-Man or Squirrel Girl, they're like, well, maybe I'll give that one a chance. <laughs> and if they don't like, <laughs> if they think that prose novels are too hard for them or they've, they've internalized this idea that like, I'm not smart enough to read a book, that the books aren't for me, that 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 horrible idea um, comics are a step sideways. They don't feel like work. They don't feel like prose. They don't read like prose. It's a whole different process. It's, it's a way there. And the other thing I would say, and this is partially, uh, what the students bring with them, the baggage they bring with them is working to help destroy this idea of books belonging to certain people. They're, they're boy books and girl books. I have a, a friend who's an author, Shannon mm -hmm. Hale. She's great. And she writes, what often get classified as girl books. And she talks about, you know, doing school events and the the girls in the classroom waiting in line to get their copy signed. And usually there's one or two boys who are hanging back. They don't want to go out for recess because they want to meet Shannon, but they don't want to be seen as like showing an interest in this. Or I don't, I don't read books about princesses because I'm mm -hmm. a boy. And it's great that they have the courage to hang back, but it's heartbreaking that they feel like they can or the other kids in the class don't because they think these books are not for them. And so anything a teacher can do to say anything in this classroom, any books here, whether they're comics or prose, boy books, girl books, whatever, they're all open to anyone. Uh, I think that's great because it lets people explore without saying this book is saying something about who I am or the kind of person I am doesn't read this kind of book because they're so young to be making those types of choices. Like we were talking at the beginning, we're both in favor of not making yeah. huge life defining choices when you're young. <laughs> and one of the hugest choices yeah. is what kind of person do I want to be? And you know, that takes time to figure out that takes a lifetime to figure out. And I don't think you should be beholden to what you think you want to do when you're four. And I think even in grade four, you should still be feeling free to read anything and seeing what you like, what you don't like, where it takes you. Yeah, that's well said as well. And so, Ryan North, really appreciate having you on the show, and thank you for joining us on What I Want to Know. That's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so you can explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education and write a review of the show. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK. For more information on Stride and online education, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.